Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and guide and lead us as we go through this and, and look at this temple that Ezekiel has shown for the future. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 41, starting at verse 21. And we're continuing the vision of the temple of the end days in the tribulation period or millennial kingdom. I think it's part of both. <laughs> Verse 21, the posts of the temple were square and the face of the sanctuary and the, face of, and, and the appearance of one was like the appearance of the other. The altar of wood was three cubits high and the length thereof two cubits and the corners thereof and the length thereof and the walls thereof were of wood. And he said unto me, this is the table that is before the Lord. And the temple of the sanctuary had two doors and the doors had two leaves apiece, two turning leaves, two leaves for the one door and two leaves for the other door. And they were made on them and the doors of the tabernacle, cherubim and palm trees likened to as made, were made upon the walls. And there were thick planks on the face of the porch without. And there were narrow windows and palm trees on the one side and on the other side, on the side of the porch and on and upon the side chamber of the house were thick planks. All right, so he's continuing talking about the temple and he says that the temple had two posts. Uh, and it has an altar of wood with three cubits in length and two cubits in the corners thereof. And that would be, let's uh, see, a four and a half by three feet table. Um, and we see that he says that this was the table that was before the Lord, so we're probably the table of showbread. Um, possibly the, the altar of incense, but more likely the table of showbread. Uh, but we're seeing here there's, this uh, temple is, does not appear to be as opulent as the tabernacle was. Everything's not made and covered with gold and, and everything like the other temples. Uh, we're seeing a whole different description that it's not the beauty is in God, not in the, the building itself. And it says that they were built of wood Verse 23 says, and the tabernacle of the, uh, the temple and the sanctuary had two doors, and the doors had two leaves apiece, turning leaves, two leaves for the one and two leaves for the other. So these are big, just two double doors, basically, that swing, swing in and out for the temple and for the, for the sanctuary. And they were made of them, on them, on the doors of the temp temple, cherubim and palm trees, which were on the walls. We've talked about this. They had the cherubim all englossed or painted or somehow attached to walls, they had cherubim. And it really doesn't tell us whether they were reliefs or just pictures. Uh, and even on a door, they could be either one. And then there's the palm trees for the fruitfulness. And these are put on, and they're, and they're the same design and, and pattern as the walls have on them. And it had narrow windows and literally probably just slits. And the palm trees on one side and on the other on the porch. And so we see just the decoration here. He's starting to get into the decorations of the, of the picture. Uh, Ezekiel 32, we start getting into the chambers for the priest to live in. Then he brought me up into the utter court, uh, the way toward the north. And he brought me into the chamber that was over against a separate place and which was before the building toward the north. Before the length of 100 cubits was the north door, and the breadth was 50 cubits. 
over against the 20 cubits, which were the inner court, and over against the pavement, which were the utter court, was a gallery against this gallery were three stories. And before the chamber was a walk of 10 cubits, breadth inward, and a way of one cubit, and their doors toward the north. Now the upper chambers were shorter, for the galleries were higher than those, and the lower and then the middle, middlemost of the building. For they were built, they were in three stories, but had not pillars as the pillar of the courts. Therefore the building was straightened more than the lowest of the middle from the ground. And the wall that was without over the, against the chambers toward the other court on the forepart of the chambers was the length thereof of 50 cubits. And the length of the chambers that were in the other court were 50 cubits and low. Before the temple, there was 100 cubits. And from, and from let's, let's stop there. He's describing three stories, and we're going to try to build this up. He's talking about the outer court and around the, around the temple. And it says that there's three stories of chambers. And these stories basically indent in there so that each story you're walking on the outside edge of the roof of the previous one, and they go up in, in a ziggurat type thing of three stories. Uh, each one being offset. And it says the very first one is 150 by uh, feet by 30 feet by 75 feet. And so we, we're seeing a pretty good sized chambers. And these were chambers that the priests were able to use. And remember, the priests are there only for a short period each, each year. Now in this temple, they may live there. We don't know because this is a different, different time frame. But during the time that Ezekiel is writing, and before, the priest would only serve for a short period of time, go to the temple for that period of time, then go back home, and come back six months later and serve for a short period of time. By Jesus' day, they serve for two weeks, twice a year. Real hard job. <laughs> um, but they worked hard during those, those times. And he says, and then he gives just these distances on them. And you know, we're not going to cover all these distances, 10 cubics breadth, by, you know, in one cubit. And they had doors on the north, and the upper chamber was getting smaller. And it was three stories. And then uh, in verse 9, it says, And from these chambers was the entry to the east, as one goes into them from the utter court. And the chambers were a thickness of the wall of the court toward the east, over against the separate place and over against the building. So they had an entrance on the east as they faced the north. And the way before them was likened to the appearance of chambers, which were toward the north as long as, as, long as they, and as broad as they, and all their goings out were both according to their fashion, according to their doors. And according to the doors of the chambers, they were toward the south. There was a door into the headway, even the way directly before the wall toward the east as one entrance into them. So on both sides, he says, there's these, these walls. And they have an entrance way on the east side and everything in the temple, on all the temples and the tabernacle, were always facing east. All right? And so this temple is oriented to the east. You come in by the east, you, and you walk, if you walk straight in from the east, you walk into the temple. And this is the way that the Jews have built their, their worship centers. And the way they build them now is that everything faces Jerusalem. So wherever they're at, they will orient their building so that the worship is toward Israel, uh, toward Jerusalem or Israel. And uh, they're always talking about the east. God comes from the east and, 
and he rules from the east and the temple mount is just slightly east of the full city so it's barely east but <laughs> north northeast of the of the city and so we see all of this and he's describing this beautiful very hard to understand in many ways temple and in Remember in the previous chapter, we talked about these buildings not actually being attached to the temple, but climbing up their sides. And here he's doing a further description of them and actually giving us the sizes and the widths and, the, and all of that with it uh, to tell us that there's a pretty large dwelling area for the priest to be able to go to. The priests, when they come, are not stuck out in tents or something. They actually get to live right there in the temple complex and take care of it. And that is reminiscent of David's day when he actually trained and hired singers to sing all the time in the temple and the priests were there all the time. Whether people were worshiping or not, they were, there was somebody there to accompany worship. And this is something that God is wanting. He's wanting worship. He's wanting people to attend unto him. And we are able with, through Jesus, to come boldly to the throne of God and be able to worship. And, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, as I've been thinking a lot about prayer lately, you know, prayer is not just us talking to God, but us taking time to listen to what God has to say. And, you know, most of us, when we pray, and myself included most of the time, I spend a lot of time talking to God when I'm praying to him and not doing a whole lot of listening. But God wants us to be able to just sit back and listen. Listen for his voice. I hear so many people say, well, why doesn't God speak anymore? Well, for the most part, we're not listening. And we're not, we're not training ourselves to listen. We're not trying to listen. And in our world, we don't have a lot of silence in our world anyway. And we don't make a lot of silence. People have the TV or a radio going all the time. You know, no silence. And God says he speaks in a still, small voice. And unless we're ready to hear a still, small voice, we're not going to hear his voice in most cases. So it's very important to open our ears and listen. Be prepared to just back off and say, God, you're, I'm, I'm here to hear your voice and follow what you want. Very rarely does he say angels to us like other, a handful of people in the Bible did to get their message. And for them, they might have needed the angel to get their attention. Uh, Thomas in the upper room said, you know, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to believe Jesus is raised from the dead until I see him. I put my fingers in and I, and I put my hand in his side you know, and, and he needed to see. He wasn't going to believe their, their story. Uh, Mary needed to see the angel and be told the message. Gideon needed to see an angel and be told the message. Uh, for Moses, he heard God speak out of the bush, and that was enough for him. Uh, Abraham, and his, when he was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees, apparently was just told. He was listening and, and hearing God's voice. And we see all through the scripture, people needing different levels of communication from God. And God very graciously and mercifully gives people what they need to be able to, to respond. For many Muslims in the Middle East, they say they will talk about seeing a vision of Jesus that leads them to go to seek him when they're trying to find, find God. And he'll tell them, you know, go see my servant and he'll send them to some Christian to tell them about him. Uh, so they have a choice. They don't have to go, but he's saying, if you've been praying, you really want to know, this is how you go find out. 
and testimony after testimony comes out of the Middle East about people who are seeing visions of Jesus. And in, we're told in uh, the scriptures that in the last day, old men will see uh, dream dreams and, old, and young men will have visions. And we're seeing more and more of that happening in our day. And I have no problem with it as long as they match up to the scriptures. When somebody tells me I had a vision or a dream and God told me to do this and you look at it and you listen to it and it's against the scriptures or doesn't, doesn't agree with the scriptures, I'll tell them, no, that wasn't God. You may have had a vision, you may have had a dream, but it wasn't from God. And we need to always center everything we do in his word. If his word says something contrary to what we think we're supposed to do, then we're not hearing from God. That's a very simple, simple attitude. You know, if the word says something, we're to obey it. And if we get a dream or an emotion or anything else that says do something against the scripture, then it is not God. And we can be sure of that because he's not going to contradict himself. It's his word. And so it's very important to look at this. And, you know, this is something we're dealing with in our day and age. It's, you know, we're dealing with all kinds of people who say, well, God's telling me to get married to this person. They're not saved, but God's telling me, no, nope, it's not God. It goes against his word. We're seeing churches that are ordaining women to be pastors. And God says that, you know, the elder needs to be the husband of one, one wife. And it's like, okay, it says clearly husband, not, not spouse. If it had said spouse, then we could go, okay, you're okay. But, and they'll go, well, this, you've got to grow with the age. We're, we're beyond all that stuff. Well, I'm going to go with what the Bible says. And when we start trying to twist the Bible to meet our desires, we're in trouble. And this is something that's very important for us to understand that what the Bible says is what it means. Now, there is a progression, and it goes from the law to, the, to God's grace as we go further in. But the law was never designed to get us saved. It was designed to show us that we are sinners and that it was always by grace that people entered into God's presence. And we see that over and over, and we see his grace right from the beginning of the book. When Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't immediately kill them. He gave them grace and says, here's your sacrifice, and here's what you're going to have to do from this point on. And sin has consequences, we always talk about, much consequences in, in many cases. And so we see here, even talking about these rooms for the priests and the three stories. Now, I don't, do not know how they determined who had what, what position in the, in the stories. I don't know if the low ones were valuable or the high ones, and it doesn't tell us. The low ones were bigger, so maybe they were more value to them. And we don't know anything more about that. Verse 13. Then he said unto me, The north chambers and the south chambers, which are before the separate place, they are holy chambers where the priests that approach unto the Lord shall eat the most holy things, and they shall lay the most holy things, and the meat offering, and the sin offering, and the trespass offering, for the place is holy. When the priest enter therein, they shall then shall they not go out of the holy place into the utter court, but there they shall lay their garments wherein they minister, for they are holy, and shall put on other garments, and shall approach to those things which, which are for the people. All right, so he says that these are for the priests. They're, they're able, this is where they're going to eat. And remember way back when we talked about it in Exodus, Leviticus, and those, the priest got a lot of their food from the offerings. Okay, and we have this idea that all the offering went on the altar and was totally burnt up, but very small portions of the altar, the offerings were ever put in. They, they would open, flay them open, they would take all the innards and they'd put it in, and then depending on the offering, would depend on how much of it was burnt. 
but usually not much more than a, a side, you know, one side of it or an upper portion of it. And the priest got a large section of it. The burnt offering was totally burnt up except for the uh, skin of it, the hide of it, which was given to the priest so that they could tan it and, and make, you know, make leather things or sell it and make money. Uh, they were they were to eat the meat that was offered that was they got the portion of and they were to eat it with the priest and they could share it with their family. But again, here it's telling them that it doesn't go out of the temple. And this is very important. The God provides for them, but he says you have to still follow rules. <laughs> you have to follow the, these rules and the meat offering, the... the uh, Sin offering and the trespass offering are all these meat that they were to eat right there and enjoy. They, they had lots of, lots of meat available to them, probably more than they could handle. So many times they were probably just discarded and burnt because they, could, they had to eat it all at certain times. And, but it did feed the priests, the Levites, and everybody that was working in the temple all, all got to eat of that uh, offering. And here it says, this is, where you, this is where I'm providing you to eat. And then verse 14 talks about that when they were done with their offerings, they were to go into these chambers and change clothes into something other that they didn't work in. They could work in the temple with a certain set of robes. And then they would put the ephods on and, and linen garments, and they would work the rest of the temple around the people. But they had clothes that were for inside the temple. When they went into the holy place and put showbread out and, and made sure the menorah was lit and filled with oil and the, and the altar of incense were filled, they would have a certain set of clothes on, the priestly garments, and then they would come out. They'd go into the chambers. They would change their clothes and come back out for cutting up the animals and, and ministering to the people. And this is what he's telling them. And this was something that has been there for a for throughout the times, and Ezekiel is just repeating that it's still going on in this temple that he's seeing in his vision that they're still ministering in just that way that they, a priest will change their clothes and minister in, the, in, in special clothes for the inside and another set of clothes for the outside. And kind of this is the way that we are as Christians. God has clothed us with righteousness, but when we minister to people, that's not how they're ministered to. They're ministered to as Jesus came in the flesh, and they couldn't handle his righteousness. And, and God is saying, we're going to go out, and we're not to be so holy that we don't work with people and talk with people and interact with people. When we go before him, we're, we're going in the righteousness of Christ, and when we're out with people, we're to be down where they're at. You know, not sinning with them, but you know, we're to be able to talk to them. And we see this all the time with people who get that holy, righteous attitude of, I am just too good. I can't, I can't talk to that sinner over there. People might think that I'm a sinner. And this is what Jesus, what they're being told here, is when they get done ministering in the temple, change your clothes to something that can minister to the people. Uh, because if you're wearing your nice, bright robes and everything, you're not going to cut up the, the animal sacrifice. You're not going to go do things that are going to get you dirty. And we look at this and say, this is what he's wanting. He's wanting service. He's wanting service that goes to him, and he's wanting service that goes to people. And this is the problem many people have as Christians. They sometimes will look just to serve God and forget people, or they get so busy ministering to people <laughs> that they forget that they're also supposed to minister to God and worship him.
And we've got to find these balances between both all the time. And this is something that balance is so important. You know, I don't get so uh, spiritually minded I'm of no earthly good, which is hard to do because if you're really being spiritually minded, you're going to be driven to help people. But it is very possible to be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. You're, all you're doing is playing around with sin and, and hanging out with people and doing the things that they do. And if the, all you're doing is doing the things that the world does and you're not any different from them, they're going to say, well, why do I need God? And this is why I think it's important for us to live God out so that people look at us and say, there's something different about you. Don't know quite what it is, but you don't think the things I think are funny. You don't do the same things I do. You're not out, you're not out getting drunk to, and to have fun or doing drugs to get fun. You seem to be happy and content most of the time. What is it that you have? And if we don't have that to show people, we've got a problem. Because God is saying, I want to be lifted up. Jesus said over and over, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so many times we try to lift ourselves up. Hey, look at me. Look how good I am. And that's not what we're supposed to do. It's lift Jesus up because he's the one that gives the power. He's the one that gives the strength. He's the one that really, truly is the way to, to God. Verse 15, now when he had made an end of measuring the inner house, he brought me forth toward the gate whose prospect is toward the east and measured it around about. He measured the east side with a measuring rod, 500 reeds with the measuring reed around about, and he measured the north side, 500 reeds and he, with the measuring reed around about, and he measured the south, 500 reeds with the measuring rod, and he turned again to the west side and measured 500 reeds from the measurement with the measuring reed, and he measured it by the four sides and, and the wall around it, 500 reeds long and 500 reeds broad, and made a separation between the sanctuary and the profane place. So he measures the outside around the, the temple and it measures 500 reeds. And way back three chapters ago, the reed was defined as six cubits or nine feet. So outside of here is a measurement of 45,000 feet on each direction from this which is a pretty large, excuse me, 4,500 feet. Nine times 500 is 4,500. <laughs> 4,500 feet or just over, or just under a mile in both dir all directions around the temple was an empty space. And the reason for this empty space, as it tells us in, the, in verse 20, was to make a separation between the sanctuary and the profane or common places. So there was this area that was to be designed for, this is where worship starts happening, and out there is the rest of the world. You start, when you enter in this area, you've entered into the whole, you're starting to enter into a, the place where you should be preparing your heart for worship. So that when you get to the wall of the temple and enter in, you're entering into the holy place and you're supposed to be ready for worship. And that area of just under a mile around the temple was that area where, okay, we're not buying, selling, we're not doing everything. It's just a separation and we're getting to ready to prepare for God. And this is something that's so important for us as Christians. When we come to worship God, we need to prepare our hearts and be ready. There's so many times when people come into church and they're just not ready to worship. They get done worshiping and it's like, well, 
What was the big deal? I, nothing happened. It wasn't that great. You know, well, was your heart ready? Did you pray before you came to church? Were you ready to hear God? Or were you there just to perform spiritual duty? And if you're there just to perform your spiritual duty, then you're not going to get anything out. You've got your reward. You've performed your spiritual duty. And but we need to come in prayed, ready to go. Uh, when we come into the church, we should be starting to think about praying and saying, God, what is it you want me to do? Who do I need to talk to? How do, I, how do you want me to be prepared to listen? And Satan likes to destroy people's mental attitudes before church. That'll be the one day, you know, one day out of the week that the husband and wife get into a big fight in the morning. The kids irritate the parents and they get, get mad at each other. God uh, has a hard time sometimes getting us to pay attention to him on those days. And very important for us. And the same thing when we're starting to want to read our Bible. You get into the habit of reading your Bible and then those will be the day, you know, the first time you do it, you'll sleep in late so you don't get around to do it. Then you'll, then you'll have a news article on TV that you want to, to listen to or a newspaper that gets delivered early. And you have all kinds of things that come in to stop you from focusing on God. And Satan is good at that kind of stuff. Uh, when, it's time, when you decide it's time to give God money, you know, God, I'm going to give you whatever percentage it is you've decided to give him, the, the tithe or the offering above the tithe. And the next thing you know, you get bills that total just the extra amount that you wanted to give him. And you have to make a decision, okay, God, do I give you the money that I told you I was going to give or do I pay my bill? And we have a hard decision to make. And that's when, do we live by faith or do we live by, by our sight? And most people live by sight. They go, oh, God, I'll have to owe you. You know, I have to owe you, God, I know I'm supposed to give you this $300, but I got to pay this bill. And then within six months, we owe God thousands of dollars because we haven't been paying, <laughs> paying him what we said. God, I'm going to get around to paying it, paying it to you. And God gets stuffed into the back corner so often. And he gets stuffed in the back corner of our life frequently. God, I want to pray with you more. Well, God, I've been too busy to pray today. God, I want to read my Bible more. Well, God, I'm sorry, I got really busy. But you know, God, there's all these, all these things about life that I have to deal with. And it's just like everything else. Whatever's important to us, we will make time for. And we need to be able to consider this. God, I'm just too busy to pray today. I read my newspaper. I had my breakfast. I went to work. I watched three hours of TV, God, and... Uh, watch that movie that I really wanted, that I think you really, really liked, God. It was, it was a Christian movie. It was a really good movie. You know, get to the end of the day. And you, but God, I'm sorry I didn't have time to pray to you. Uh, I had time for doing all these other things that, we're, that I considered a higher priority. I need to be very conscious of this. How important is God to us? And because we will make what's a time for what is important. And I've said this many times. People will tell you how busy they are. They can't go to church. They can't do this. They can't do that. But they're offered tickets to, the, to their movie that they really want to see or the theater show they really want to see or a sporting event they really wanted to see or some, some special event that they really want to see. And everything just drops. And they find money to pay for the transportation and just so they can use it. Where, where your heart is, there your treasure is. And we do what we spend our time on really does reveal who we are. You know, what am I doing? Why, why am I doing it? And God says, you're showing your heart. And very important for us to begin to really truly understand this. 
The temple has a space around it that says, this is the separation. You, once you've crossed this boundary mark, get ready for participation with God. And God dwells in us now, and we, we should be ready to focus on him at all times. If he's truly in the center of our heart, in the center of what we want, he will be lifted up. He will be exalted. He will be the one that we follow. And we see this whole temple that's being talked about, and, we, and the description of it is magnificent. And it's beyond anything we can pretty much comprehend. I've tried looking at different pictures of it, and everybody draws it totally different, even though the dimensions are all there. There's all kinds of different drawings on it and different thought processes on it. And it's hard to even picture the, the building, but it'll happen. This temple will show up at some point, with, and it'll happen to look just like Ezekiel saw it, as hard as it is to, to picture, but it will happen. We're, we're going to close in prayer. It's, we've covered chapter and a half. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to go with us. Help us to prepare our hearts, Lord. Help those that aren't here today to, to prepare for what they need. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.